cozy mysteries are this strange genre that mixes these very light elements with murder. It's an odd, odd kind of marriage, but it's one that for whatever reason we all love. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my cozy friends. Today, we are going to have a little virtual pizza party and chat with the author of one of my favorite foodie mystery series. The author is Mindy Quigley, and she, of course, writes the deep dish mysteries. So welcome to the show, Mindy. Thanks, Christy. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here and to chat about these books. But since today's conversation is all about pizza, I do first just have to know what your go-to pizza toppings are. <laughs> um, for myself, I re- so my daughter is a vegetarian uh-huh. and we almost always do vegetarian pizzas. But if I can sneak some pepperoni onto my side of the pizza, I really do love a good pepperoni pizza. Just uh, an absolute classic. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But really, I'll eat anything on a pizza. I'm not super picky. The only thing that I don't like on pizza is green peppers. Mm, But I'll do anchovies, pineapple, anything. um, And I will eat a green pepper if I must, but (laughs) definitely not my favorite. Okay. But you're pretty adventurous with the anchovies and everything. Yeah. And I won't pick stuff off. I'm not like my, my kids are like surgeons. They'll like get the tiniest (laughs) little speck of whatever out of the pizza if it's something that they don't like, but um, I'll, I'll plow through um, even if it's something that's not my preferred toppings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Minus the anchovies. I, I feel very similarly, but my very favorite would be like a classic, like margarita pizza with fresh mozzarella and basil. And oh, I'm just such a happy camper with that. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, I hope we're already getting you hungry because that is absolutely what these books are going to do when you read them, if you haven't already. Um, and I know Foodie Cozy Mysteries are some of my favorites. They're favorites of our listeners here as well. And Ashes to Ashes, Crust to Crust is one of the best culinary cozies that I have read so far this year. And it's the second book in your deep dish mystery series. So do you want to kick off the conversation today by just telling our listeners what the series is all about? Absolutely. And thank you for your kind words. Um, So the books are set in an upscale pizzeria and our main protagonist is pizza chef Delilah O'Leary, who comes from kind of a more... um, classically trained culinary background, but has always had this dream of opening up a Chicago style deep dish place of her own. So she does that, sets up her restaurant in a town called Geneva Bay in Wisconsin with her best friend, Sonia. 
And both Delilah and Sonia are Chicago natives. So the restaurant has a Chicago theme as well as being a Chicago style deep dish pizza place. Um, and the town itself is a really cute resort town that has a lot of um, very wealthy people who live around the lake that the town is centered on. So that kind of plays into some of the mysteries. And Delilah ends up after a breakup um, with custody of this cat that, um, who I absolutely, he's like my favorite character to write, even though he <laughs> has no dialogue. I just love like thinking of things for Butterball the cat to get up to. Um, and the rest of the cast is just the fun, multi-generational cast of characters that um, work in the restaurant along with Delilah's Aunt Elizabeth Biz O'Leary. Yes, and I do, I have to say, I love Butterball. Like, such a great character, such a great name for a cat. That's so cute. <laughs> it suits him, for sure. His his shape and color. He's <sighs> kind of butter-colored and shaped like a turkey. Uh-huh, and just his, like, his general attitude, which I really, really enjoy. Yeah, me too. He's so, he's so much fun to write. Like, it, so, sometimes I'll just be in my office laughing to myself, and my husband will just walk by and shake his head, and it's always a butterball scene that's good though I mean you can definitely tell I think when authors are enjoying themselves writing the readers can kind of feel that through the writing and then it makes them enjoy it more as well so those scenes definitely are just a lot of fun to read yeah yeah they're great to write too yeah and you know it's also clear in reading this series that when it comes to pizza you know your stuff so what came first your idea for the series or your knowledge of how to make the perfect chicago style deep dish pizza oh for sure my idea for the series so i had i had no idea this is very naive of me but i didn't know that i was going to have to put recipes in the books uh-huh and I thought, you know, I, I like writing anything is like, for example, like you're writing a book, it's set on Mars, you've never been to Mars, but you have to think through like, what would it feel like? You know, what would the ground feel like? What would the gravity feel like? And how to put that kind of stuff into words. So for me, I'm not really much of a cook. I'm not a very good, like, I'm not a natural cook. Mm -hmm. I make food. My children aren't starving, but it's like <laughs> not, not a great cook. Um, so I thought, well, that's fine. Like I can, I've, I love pizza. I've eaten pizza and I can come up with the word to describe great meals and, you know, sensory experiences like that. But after I got the contract for the first three books, the editor was like, oh yeah, by the way, um, we need recipes for all of these. So cool. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you're writing a biography of Mozart and they're like, oh, by the way, can you just like compose a few original symphonies? <laughs> <Right>? Cool. Um, <laughs> So I yeah delved into the world of recipe creation and kind of fortuitously, this was during COVID when everyone in the world was baking. So there was, you know, there's a lot of information already online, but there, we had more time. So my daughter, who is in high school, she would finish her work, you know, her virtual school and then have hours in the afternoon of nothing to do. And I would just hand her a recipe and be like, just make this. Wow. <laughs> We're just going to keep trying things out. So she got, um, she honed in on a crust recipe and a sauce recipe that were kind of versions of various things to get us to a place where then I was able to take over and make tweaks and get it to where I wanted it to be um, for the books. And 
yeah, she was kind of my beta tester for a lot of it though. And we ate a lot of pizza that year. Like a lot of people, we ate a lot of baking. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. And how neat that the two of you were able to kind of work on that together. That's such a cool experience. Yeah. And it was really lucky too, because deep dish pizza is a big endeavor. It's not a quick thing to make, Mm -hmm. you know, between rising the crust and doing all of the different steps, making the toppings. Um, You know, it's a whole afternoon pretty much every time you do it. So if you have a fail of some kind, which I have had actually this, the, the kind of setup of um, the second book with her trying to make this uh, Wisconsin themed bratwurst cheddar pizza, I I had that same experience where I knew that I could do something along these lines. So I just started like trying to make this bratwurst cheddar pizza. And I had so many failures, which is really depressing because, you know, you've spent three hours on something and then it's like, eh, it's okay. Or like the sheet didn't come together. Um, So I was lucky to have her as my sous chef that year of doing a lot of the grunt work of initial recipe testing so that I could swoop in at the end and um, pick up the different strands of things that she'd been working on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fun. And I bet your your daughter really loves that she got to be part of like your whole book creation process, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, you know, I think for most writers, it's a family affair because even though it's this very individual kind of in your head pursuit um having a supportive family is incredibly critical because Mm -hmm. there are all these things and especially you know when you're going to be serving them food that you're making out of the book um you know it's it becomes very uh very much a part of your family life but I'm, I'm really fortunate in that way that my kids and my husband are all totally on board with this. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes a lot of support to get an author through a book because that is no small feat to get to to get to the end in a manuscript and then to have to write recipes on top of it. Yeah, for sure. The recipe writing, though, turned out to be something that was fun for me in the end. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. That's such a fun story. Um, and obviously, I love the pizza. In this book, pizza is probably like if you ask any of my family members, it's probably my very favorite food. And the pizza restaurant that your main character, Delilah, opens in the series does have this really fun like mobster theme to it. And then the detective that Delilah interacts with is also a descendant of Al Capone. So what inspired you to include those elements in the story? Well, for me, as soon as I decided it was going to be a Chicago style deep dish place, I started thinking of other, I grew up in Chicago and started thinking of other Chicago-y things. Um, and something as I've traveled around the world, something that has surprised me, like I remember I was in Peru one time and, you know, said in you know, ta- talking in my sort of <laughs> terrible Spanish to other people, um, you know, where are you from? And I'm from Chicago. And then this person just busted out, bang, bang, Al Capone. <laughs> and I've had that experience other times, like, oh, yeah, do you still have the mafia problem there? <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of funny that even 100 years uh-huh. after that, you know, that that's still something that's so closely associated with Chicago. So I decided just to lean into it because I think people from Chicago are touchy about, you know, their city mm-hmm. being associated with crime. Sure. And I am too. But it's something that other people associate with Chicago. And and I thought, you know, I'm just going to embrace it and go with it. Because when I read a book, um, you know, like if I'm reading Ellen Byron's stuff, you know, it's mm-hmm. set in Louisiana. And 
I want like if it's if I'm gonna read a book set in New Orleans, I want I want a Mardi Gras. I want some etouffee. I want, you know, I want the whole nine yards of the French Quarter. I want it all. And I think I wanted to give that to my readers too, but play with it a little bit. So like you said, the, one of the characters, this detective is a descendant of Al Capone. And I wanted to think a little bit about what that would be like to be a descendant of someone who's so notorious. Right. Um, And I get to play with that a little bit as the series goes on, you know, that the good and the bad of having that instant name recognition. But then he's a cop who's descended from maybe the most famous criminal that America has ever produced. Right. So he's got a lot of baggage around that. And I think it just makes um, some interesting opportunities to talk about, you know, obviously I'm somebody who's making my living off of talking about crime and all of the readers have come to my books to read about murders Mm -hmm. but it gives you these nice pauses just to see the irony of that cozy mysteries are this strange genre that mixes these very light elements with murder yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) it's an odd odd kind of marriage um but it's one that for whatever reason we all love and are very interested in and i think that that Al Capone um, criminal past of Chicago element allows me to play with some of that too. You know, that it's something that we're fascinated by, um, but we like to have it a little bit sanitized mm-hmm. for consumption. Yeah, I agree completely. And I do I do think it's just so interesting the way that you did that made your detective a descendant of Al Capone. And what's that like for him and showing us what that's like for him to be working in this profession and be this great guy but people hear his name and instantly associate him with like being a criminal. Um, And so how he kind of navigates through that is fascinating. And then I completely agree with what you said. Um, When we reach for cozies, we do reach for that like escapism. And so I really appreciate how you incorporate so much of the vibe of Chicago. So we do feel like we're absolutely entrenched in this setting and this world that you've created. It's very escapist. And yet we do get the crime element. And then at the end of the day, we do get the cases solved and justice is served. And that's always just like that uplifting feeling that we want when we reach for cozy mysteries. Yeah, thanks. That's that's exactly what I'm going for. So I'm glad that that's, that's what you got. Out. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I do have to circle back to the recipes because I love that Cozy Mysteries include recipes in them. I think it's just such a fun way to like immerse yourself in the books even more. But uh, like yourself, I too am not a great cook <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but my husband and I will do like date nights where we um, recreate the recipes from Cozy Mysteries. Uh, I sometimes make them TikToks, and if you watch them close enough, you'll notice the hands doing all the work are always my husband's. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's the cook. And uh, we have been uh, contemplating tackling one of the recipes from your books. Uh, they all sound mouthwatering, and so I'm wondering if there's one that you would consider to be your favorite. Oh gosh, so that my favorite recipe would actually be super easy to make. It's um, Auntie Biz's tomato sandwich. 
That's uh, because I think the thing that I love about the recipes in the books is that they're all written from the characters' perspectives. So it gives you a little bit of extra content. You know, once you finish the book, sometimes when you finish a book, you have that feeling of like, oh, I don't want it to be over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm sad that I have to go back to the real world. So I like having these recipes at the end that are their own kind of continuations of the story or at least variations on themes from the story written from different characters perspectives because the books are first person from Delilah O'Leary's perspective but then I'm able to shift into the perspectives of all of the different characters in the books who made the food um, you know that was discussed throughout the novel and that recipe to me just kind of encapsulates Auntie Biz who's you know, really wry, kind of sarcastic, mm-hmm. um, slightly curmudgeonly person. And it's it's just this very dismissive recipe. Like, if you're too dumb to make this recipe, I don't even know what. You know? Like, <laughs> I seem very on brand for her. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've, I think I've ended the last couple of books with a, an anti-biz recipe because I just like giving her the last word. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a really fun recipe. And I think any of the pizza recipes... So I've now made deep dish pizza, I don't even know how many times, a billion times. Um, and it's something that my kids request for special occasions. So like that's what we've had the last mm-hmm. couple of Christmases. I've made deep dish pizza. And I feel like that recipe is to the point where it's actually something that feels doable to me, even as a cook who's not a great cook. So I, I, I'm proud of that recipe, that it's something that I feel like, even though it takes a long time, it's pretty accessible and and, and fairly easy. It doesn't take a lot of um, baking knowledge in order to pull it off. Okay. So that's that's one. If you're feeling brave, um, if you're feeling <laughs> less brave, then just do one of the cocktail recipes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it might be fun to actually do like one of each. And that way, after I have the cocktail, if I ruin the pizza, I won't feel quite so bad about it. doesn't even it. matter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's basically my motto with cooking is, you know, if you have enough cocktails, then it's all fine. Okay. Okay. So I, uh, I'm, we're going to do this. I think maybe this weekend we'll do a deep dish pizza night. I will make a TikTok and we will just see how the results go. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Definitely. Yeah. Send me the link. I want to see okay. it. Yeah, I definitely will. And then going back to your book. So this isn't the first cozy mystery series that you've written. You credit your work as the coordinator of a pastoral services program at the Duke University Medical Center for inspiring your best-selling Reverend Lindsay Harding mystery series. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that series as well? Sure. So there are three books in that series, and those are set in North Carolina. And a, a young female hospital chaplain is the sleuth in that series. And that experience of working in the pastoral care program at the hospital just opened my eyes to a whole world that goes on that most people never interact with or interact with only at these really extreme points in their life, which Mm -hmm. is that, you know, there are these chaplains, they're like ministers of all faiths who work in the hospital. When I was working there, you know, they would come, they would come back from a shift into the office and have these crazy stories of things that happened because you're just at the extremities of human experience, you know, in a hospital that's, it's, it's, you know, somebody is, has a huge relief because something that they, you know, some terrible tragedy was avoided narrowly, or they just got the worst news of their life. 
um, and you're working with them through that. So there's all kinds of crazy stories that happened. So I knew I wanted to write something about chaplains and their experience. And I originally started to do it as more of a straight, serious book, but it was too dark for me. It was too heavy for Mm -hmm. my voice. I've set it aside for a couple of years. And then one day I was on a bus and it just occurred to me like, why not do that as a murder mystery? And you could still tell the stories, but in a way that's um, a little bit lighter and Mm -hmm. easier to digest for readers. So that's where the genesis of that came about. And I wanted to, we'd moved away from North Carolina by that point. And I wanted to incorporate um, some North Carolina history into that because I adore this part of the country and kind of wanted to pay homage to it through the books. So that's where those came about. And um, yeah, they were really fun to write. And I just coincidentally, two of my college roommates became ministers. Um, Really? Yeah, neither of them came into college with the intention of doing that. It was just something, one's a Unitarian minister and the other one's an Episcopal priest. And that was something that they both just happened to kind of fall into. Um, So I was able to get a lot of information from them too, because they both went through clinical pastoral education training, which involves service like that. You know, you're a hospital chaplain, a prison chaplain, a police chaplain, you're serving in these different capacities through your faith. So having known them in college, though, I see them very much as human beings. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to write a lot of that into this character, too, that she's just a a young woman, you know, dealing with all the things that young women deal with. But she also has this kind of heavy job that has a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you know, I have never heard of a cozy uh, mystery with that specific premise. Like we have so many different types of cozy careers and what I love about cozies is you really get to learn about each of the professions we get really deep descriptions of what like the day-to-day of those jobs kind of looks like and this just sounds so fascinating so I'm really excited to pick those ones up oh I hope you like them I'll definitely post about them on Instagram as I always do when I (laughs) when I read them but they sound like so much fun yeah they really are they're fun they're um they're, they're more slapstick, um, a little bit more broad comedy than uh-huh. the pizza books. Yeah, when I read back that, I'm like, man, this is like, uh, <laughs> there's stuff that happens in there that's like, you can just picture the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I that all came from. Uh, cozies is they're kind of like, like a romantic comedy is to a romance, right? A cozy kind of is to a thriller. Like it's got those elements of like lightness and humor and I know some people considered the word fluffy to be bad I personally don't I think we need fluffiness in the in the world um so I appreciate that and I think that sounds like a great time yeah that's a great way of looking at it that and I I agree like I'd always rather have life is hard enough so I'd always rather leaven it a little bit with humor Mm mm-hmm Yeah, absolutely. Especially um, if you're going to spend enough time in that headspace to actually write a book, like that's much different than like I'll read like a domestic thriller and it's a lot of fun, but I couldn't stay in that headspace long enough to write a book like that. I've had that exact experience actually after. So with the, um, the Chaplain Cozies, my agent was not able to sell them initially. And I think it's because the premise was so unusual for a cozy that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are other minister type cozies, but they're usually more, you know, like a Grant Chester, like they're like a historical thing, or they're somehow 
kind of taken out of the present and doesn't mix those, you know, elements of like just a modern woman going about her life with anything even remotely religious. And that made me think a lot about like what a cozy is and Mm -hmm. what, um, you know, how, how to package it and like what to, um, what to think through in terms of what, what I wanted to deliver to readers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I I feel like what a cozy is, like that term is so like constantly evolving, especially in the last few years. Like it seems like the kind of the tone and the conversations and things that we're seeing in cozies is is shifting a bit. So it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with the, jo- the genre in the next few years. Yeah, I've noticed that too, that the pendulum has swung a little bit more to talking about more modern issues and Mm -hmm. grounding things a little bit more in reality. And I think that's not true of all cozies, but certainly some of the ones that have been successful in recent years Mm -hmm. um, have done that. And it's, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that there's now seemingly an appetite, maybe as, you know, some younger readers have found the genre or some readers who are more used to reading, you know, YA or something that does tend to deal with more realistic themes. Uh Um, that some of those things are coming into cozies as well. But I totally agree with you about the the headspace inhabiting that for a long period of time. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that I write these is because if I'm going to be in a headspace or, you know, attempt to deal with like, for example, like elder abuse, which is something that's discussed in my first book right. in the Deep Dish Mysteries series, I'm not going to be able to do that in a hard-hitting, fact-based, journalistic way for a year, you know, that I'm going to sit with that really heavy information um, because that's just not me. It's not who I am. And Mm -hmm. I I think I've discovered that through my writing. Like, I'll write occasionally a very dark, short story, but those I can do in a matter of weeks. And to sit with something for a year, it has to be something that, um, a headspace that you're comfortable inhabiting for that length of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. And, um, you know, that brings me to, so on Goodreads, you list authors like Janet Ivanovich, Agatha Christie, and Louise Penny as being your influences. And all of them have kind of like a a range in the tone uh, and the vibe of their books that they write. So what are some of the books that made you want to become a mystery writer yourself? Oh, gosh, I think, you know, like most people, I cut my teeth on Agatha Christie when I was a kid and she's her plots are so ingenious mm-hmm. the murder on the orient express is still one of my all-time favorite books i absolutely adore that book and the murder of roger Ackroyd is another one that she just invented this whole genre of ways to fool the reader right um and that real fair play feeling like you're just kicking yourself like why didn't i see this the clues were all there and having that really dynamic detective who is such a big presence, you know, in in her books, typically. So that I think was something that I often come back to when I think about because I, I, you know, I've thought about like, why do I want to keep writing these murder mysteries? You know, why why not (laughs) a romance or something else? And I think for me, it's those puzzles and that great feeling that you get at the end of like, aha, oh, this is how it was all done. I love the big reveal. And I also love the characters, you know, that she created these, these really strong characters that even if they don't carry through a series, um, each of her characters really makes an impact and is memorable. So those are, those are the books that I think I go back to in terms of my formative 
books, but for the authors that um, I mentioned on Goodreads, like Janet Ivanovich and, and Agatha Christie and Louise Penny, for me, like each of those women bring a different um, aspect of something that I hope to be able to incorporate into my books. So like the Janet Ivanovich, Stephanie Plum books are hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I love that her heroine is is tough, you know, like she'll go toe to toe with somebody. Yeah. She's yeah, tough cookie, but they're, the books themselves, the writing, I just find really funny. And it was one of the first series that I read that is that funny and just like consistently funny. And that made me so happy because that's what I like to write. I really, if a reader posts in a review that they laughed out loud or that, you know, they were on the bus and laughing like a maniac and they're, you know, everyone else on the bus thought they were crazy. And I'm like, oh yes, this is score. <laughs> I love that about her. And then with Agatha Christie, it's the plots, you know, she's mm-hmm. books are just so cleverly plotted and well-written. Um, so, you know, trying to think, each time about what clues I can lay and how I can um, get the reader to not know who it is up until the very end. That's something that I take from her. And Louise Penny for me is just the way that she conveys emotion where you really feel a deep connection with each of her characters, the writing or the voice that she has, that she brings, um, you know, it's almost poetic. I think those, you know, those turns of phrase where you're like, oh, wow, that was a perfect way to describe particularly someone's inner state of mind. Um, She does such a good job with that. So all of those elements are things that um, I would love for people to be able to say, that I'm able to bring to books. So maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can definitely see like as you're explaining the the parts of their books that inspire you, I can definitely see those elements in your books as well. So that's really cool. That makes a lot of sense. And I totally agree with you about what you said about each of those authors. They're so uh, iconic and prolific and they've done so much, I think, especially for women writers in the mystery genre. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, I've, I've read Dorothy Sayers and um, some other, you know, classic mystery writers, but I think mm-hmm. everyone always comes back to Agatha Christie because her range of life experience just gave her this huge wealth of knowledge. Cause you think now, like if I don't know how a poison works, like what's its mechanism of action, right. I Google it, right. you know, <laughs> I just Google it. Um, but she had to rely on things that she knew or people that she personally knew or books that she could go to the library and get if she had to do research. Um, but she had this really extraordinary life that she was able to draw from in terms of, you know, like Egyptology and, pharmaceuticals and, you know, like a a lot of different experiences that the things that she did during the war um, that she was able to bring to bear on her books. And when I think about the conditions that she was writing in, in terms of access to information versus what writers have today, it makes it all the more astounding to me that she was able to pull off what she did. Yeah. Oh, it truly does. And then like, I mean, you mentioned her plots, but like the things that she did in her mysteries created, like she created the tropes that mystery writers use today. Like there's the, and then there were none trope, you know, like it came from Agatha Christie, like she invented it. And that's just mind boggling. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That one person could do all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
If you want to help support the podcast, then be sure to join our Patreon. For just $3 a month, you'll get a weekly exclusive episode of Get Cozy Podcast, all about the week's coziest mystery releases. You'll also have the chance to submit questions to our guest authors and even help decide which authors will be featured on the show. Head over to patreon.com slash getcozypodcast to sign up. So what would you say is the most challenging thing for you about writing a cozy mystery? For me, it's coming up with original um, ideas, you know, and I, not in terms of the plots, I never really have trouble coming up with, you know, the things that are going to happen in the books, but there are so many cozy mysteries, you know, there's probably a cozy mystery published every second of every day (laughs) in America, there's just a lot. Um, so there'll be something that I think this is totally unique. Nobody's ever done it quite this way before. And then I pick up a book and I'm like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I have, you know, my, my bartender is named Daniel and I'm reading a book right now where the bartender is named Danny and I'm like, oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So there are just all these little things and especially, you, you know, you said before, like culinary cozies that's a whole thing. Um, So trying to think of ways that are true to who my characters are, that still could play into the mystery, um, for me is the way that I try to keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, like, is there something that I could do with her baking or with like things that you would find in a kitchen that could play into the mystery, so that I don't have to, um, reach too far to try to find those newer elements. I'm always curious when I see a new series coming out, that's something that I, combinations that I'd never seen before. Like there's a new Catherine Bruns, who I really like Mm -hmm. um, her Italian chef mysteries has a new series. That's like a Lebanese family on a maple um, syrup farm, like a, you know, maple sugar tree farm in um, Vermont. And I was like, huh, Lebanese family in Vermont <laughs> with yeah. a maple shirt. <laughs> like this is not something that I've seen before. So I'm really curious to read. I haven't read those yet, but I think she's managed to hit on something that's going to be an interesting combination. Um, and every time you think, oh gosh, you know, how many like cat plus donut mysteries can we have? <laughs> he comes out with something that you're like, oh, but I never thought of like cats plus donuts plus that thing. <laughs> that right. makes it fresh. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it's like such a, a balance that mystery writers have to strike between like writing something they're interested in so they can like have the the attention to stay with a book all the way to the end, but also something that readers haven't read a million times and th- something that could possibly sell to publishing houses on the market at that point in time. Like there's so many different things to think about when you're conceptualizing a book. Absolutely. And it's something I think I've learned my lesson from the Chaplin series, like as I was pitching and developing this series that I there I gave myself too much freedom. <laughs> I think in the Chaplin series, to go, you know, whichever direction my imagination took me. And uh-huh. I I think with this series, I've tried, I still want to do that, obviously, because you have to, at the end of the day, have fun with right. what you're writing. I absolutely do. But I think that I've realized, even for me as a reader, I don't want to pick something. I, like, I remember there's this show, Master of None, that was, I want to say on Netflix, with a, a comedian, Aziz Ansari, who I really like. And oh, yeah, the I first, love him. He's from Parks yeah, and so Rec. He, yes. Yeah, yeah. So he, 
Yeah, he had his own series and the first couple seasons I loved. And then the third season was totally different. Like it had a different tone. It focused on different characters. And I watched the first couple episodes and I was like, this is not ticking the boxes for me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think about now when I write that, um, you know, it's yes, it's about what I want to do and the, you know, the story that I want to tell. But it's also about making sure that the readers have a satisfying experience as well that, you know, that they're when they when they pick up the, you know, there's a British saying it does what it says on the tin, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. like you pick it up and you know what you're going to get and it ticks those boxes in a satisfying way while still being a little bit like, oh, I never expected that or gosh, only that combination of characters would get into a situation like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So finding that balance between things that are original and still making sure that you're satisfying you know what your readers picked up the book to get sure yeah and I mean that's important in any genre but I do feel like cozy mystery readers like it's a very niche genre but the readers of it are very dedicated and enthusiastic and they do come into every series with a specific set of expectations that they would bring into any cozy mystery. So that is a lot to uh, to deliver on and to think about while you're trying to write a book. Yeah, and I have a friend um, who writes, a writer friend who writes um, a series that's set on the Outer Banks. And she said one time she had, there was like a dead body on the beach and she had like birds pecking an eyeball or something like <laughs> that. And her editor was like, in Cozy Mysteries, birds don't peck eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. And I see um, so much debate right now because they have, there's books like The Thursday Murder Club and Dial A for Antis and Finley Donovan is Killing It, which have mysteries in them and they have cozy vibes, but they don't conform to like the rules of like what a cozy mystery is as far as like the the genre rules. So I do think there's a lot of confusion among readers and like potential writers about what you can and can't do inside a a technical cozy mystery. Yeah. And I liked that there's this resurgence of more of, you know, because the the cozy is sort of within this large umbrella of like the traditional mystery. um, And, you know, that basically the Agatha Christie type of mystery without a ton of explicit sex violence, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, I like that Richard Osman's Thursday Murder Club or like Only Murders in the Building is pushing a little bit back toward that traditional mystery yeah. while still keeping a lot of the elements. Like I think most cozy mystery readers would like those books because they don't take things to, you know, they're not going to upset you the way you're trying to avoid birds pecking at eyeballs basically mm-hmm. you know things like that that there's like a, a live autopsy that's happening on the tv show or whatever like those are things that you're not wanting to see when you're picking up a cozy mystery and i think that those kinds of traditional mysteries um or there's one that i'm reading right now Catherine shellman's um series set in the 1920s the book is last call at the nightingale and it's it's more of a traditional mystery uh-huh. but i think almost any cozy mystery reader would pick it up and be fine with it because there's not a lot in there that's going to be too um you know keep you up at night with your stomach twisted in knots kind of stuff right yeah i agree completely i feel like we've got uh there's such a wide gap between like what a 
a thriller is or what like a detective mystery novel is and what a cozy mystery is. But there's like this big, beautiful space of traditional mysteries that I, uh, I feel like we're not getting as many books published in that space or at least not marketed to yeah. be that. Like I feel like a lot of books are getting marketed as thrillers that really are mysteries. Um, and so it, it, it causes confusion with readers. Yeah, absolutely. And even within cozies, you know, I've had people say to me or, or put in reviews that that my books are a little bit um, less cutesy or less cozy than they expected. And, you know, oh, that was a surprise, but they're fine with it. And I think even within cozies, that's that's sort of ongoing right now mm -hmm. where there's this spectrum yeah. of very, very cozy to, you know, having those more realistic themes um, while still keeping a lot of the things that people like about cozies. And it, you see it in a lot of different places right now, you know, like the Hallmark movies mm -hmm. um, the, at Christmas time, you know, it's like a snake eating its own tail. <laughs> like, yeah. There are ones that are like sarcastic commentaries on Hallmark movies because it's gone so far in, in that direction. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's something that's happening within publishing too. And it's, and it's an exciting time really, because I feel like there's quite a bit of freedom um, within the genre that maybe didn't exist, for example, 10 years ago, when I was mm -hmm. trying to market the Chaplin books, there, there was a big concern because one of the the characters in there is gay, and he's a gay Christian chaplain, and people were like, Oh, I don't know about this. Right. Um, and I feel like now, every book has a gay character. It's not even a thing. Right. Um, As it should. It should be representative of yes. the way the world yes. actually is. And that's something that has changed pretty profoundly from then to now. I mean, obviously that's still going to be a flashpoint for some people mm -hmm. and the idea of mixing, you know, Christian elements in a mystery book um, is still a little bit, uh, you know, of a minefield that you have to navigate carefully. But I think that there's more openness to having some of those elements in a cozy than there would have been even five years ago, but certainly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. And uh, I love how you described there being like a, a spectrum of coziness because there are definitely some that are very uh, on the light side and really don't incorporate like social issues or some of the, the heavier things and are more like the the cozy mysteries we grew up with, but now there's like cozies that are uh, almost like getting to the the border between like cozy and traditional and they incorporate more issues or a little bit darker. And like, I love all of them, but I know not everybody who reads cozies like the full spectrum. Um, but I will say, so there's an app. I, I know most people are very familiar with Goodreads and you can always read reviews on Goodreads. That's always helpful. Um, but there's also an app called Storygraph and that one, um, along with having like reviews whenever you look at a book, it also has trigger warnings. So I think that can be very helpful for cozy mystery readers when they're deciding whether or not a book is for them to kind of look at that before they, they pick it up and read something that they either don't want to read or would maybe give a book a bad review for when it's not necessarily the book's fault. It's just kind of the marketing. Oh, I love that idea. That's a great idea because that's something that my husband, a lot of times I read very little, li little literary fiction anymore mm -hmm. because I, it does twist my stomach in knots, but you know, if something terrible happens to a child or if, right. you know, there's, 
if the you know the bad guy is just really a brutal serial killer or something like that i i don't want to know about those things that's not what i want to read um in my especially if i'm reading before bed so my husband is like my version of story graph it sounds like where he like, <laughs> well. screens it <laughs> But that's, yeah, that's a great tool for people um, who are particularly sensitive around certain topics and, mm -hmm. you know, and and really like nothing that I've seen, certainly not in my books or even in some of the, like, you know, the fresher cozy series um, would be things that would upset most readers, but you never know. You just never know like what yeah. somebody's going to be sensitive to. So I think it's good. Like if people do have particular sensitivities, um, to be able to know in advance what they're getting into because you never want somebody to be displeased um with what you've written just because that's that's a flashpoint for them right exactly exactly i it's um it's not really a fair situation for the reader or the writer but it's also kind of hard to give all of the the forewarning without including any spoilers but just having like a quick trigger warning and not explaining where it is within the plot I think can can really help and go a long ways for that I'm gonna start using that thanks for sharing that resource yeah, it's really cool and I mean I am just like a, a reading stats geek so the app also has <laughs> listeners by the way this podcast is not sponsored by the story graph <laughs> but it's just so cool because it's got graphs that like it graphs your reading mood it tells you like how many books you read each month how many pages you read each month like which authors you read from the most it's got like pie charts and line graphs and i i just think it's cool so <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you'll have to send them this episode and see if they can send any swag your way. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, so, you know, another thing that Cozy Mystery readers are definitely all about is a good setting and community in their fiction. And I found Geneva Bay to just be such a lovely and fun location to immerse myself in while I was reading. So can you give our listeners a little insight into what the town of Geneva Bay is like? Sure. So... It's a very thinly disguised version of a real town, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And I stole basically the entire history of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And the only reason I didn't just use Lake Geneva as the place is because um, I've in previous books, when I've written about a real place, I'll get people being like, but that's not where, you know, the drugstore is. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, yeah, know, the, the specific I needed it details. to be a block over so that I could do, you know, whatever I needed to do with the plot. So this allowed me to combine. So Geneva Lake is the name of this big lake. It's about 20 miles wide. Um, and there are three towns around the lake. Lake Geneva is the biggest. And then there's Fontana um, and Williams Bay is another town. And I just kind of amalgamated those three places so that I could pull elements from each of them and kind of make one one big place. But there, there are things in here like there's, I think I call it the Grand Bay Resort, but there's a real resort just outside Lake Geneva that um, some of the action in both of the first and second book takes place in that um, I use very thinly veiled that. And I, I kind of like that as both a reader and a writer that I'm writing in this this little bit of a code so that people who are in the know and have been to this place mm -hmm. will immediately be like, oh my gosh, she's talking about, you know, that drugstore that I used to go to all the time, but she calls it, um, you know, this, and and this is what it's really called. 
And I like that there's there's this sort of like speakeasy password for the people who have been to this place. Um, but this town is so unique. It was um, developed by a lot of people who, so the, the, the town had existed for a while. There was a Native American settlement there for many hundreds of years. And then um, white settlers came in um, in small numbers. But then after the great Chicago fire, there was this huge exodus from the city of Chicago because the city was basically destroyed. You know, the better part of the city was destroyed by that fire. And some people already had summer homes on Geneva Lake. And some of those wealthier families from the industrial past of Chicago with names people would recognize like Schwinn and Wrigley and, uh -huh. you know, those big companies that are still around to this day built these huge mansions um, or expanded existing dwellings during that period of time after the great Chicago fire. Um, and sometimes whole neighborhoods who would have say a social club, like the Congress club was one of these, that was a social club in Chicago. They essentially did like Congress club on Geneva Lake. <laughs> they, oh, wow. you know, lock, stock and barrel during the summer all of the, the people who were part of that club had houses in the same area and a clubhouse. Um, and it kind of replicated the social order of Chicago in many ways. And that's still true that there are different neighborhoods um, with varying kind of income brackets, say around Lake Geneva, that tend to be people from the same areas or at least kinds of areas within Chicago and it's only about 90 minutes drive so it's a place if you had a weekend place there you could go up every weekend you know with no problem mm -hmm. or even just for the day you could go up and a lot of wealthier people you know will spend the whole summer on the lake um, but for a working class family to come up for a weekend or a week is a treat um, and that was certainly true of my family you know when I was young that having a, a week on a lake in Wisconsin or in Michigan was like the thing that, you know, people would have, that was your vacation. Um, so bringing some of those memories to life through this, and I just love Lake Geneva. It's a really cool town um, with a lot of fascinating history. And that mob history is real mm -hmm. there as well, because it's right on the route when people were smuggling booze during prohibition from Canada down to the city of Chicago, it's a stopping point um, along that route. So a lot of mobsters passed through there. And then it was a place when things got too hot, both literally weather-wise and figuratively <laughs> with law enforcement um, in the city that that um, criminals would escape there the same way that other wealthy Chicagoans. Al Capone was one of the wealthiest people in Chicago, you know, when he was right. running his criminal em enterprise. So it's not unusual that, um, you know, other him and other gangsters would have visited that area because that's what you did when you were a wealthy Chicagoan. Um, so I, I liked that too, that there was a lot of interesting real history and the Chicago ties were so close that it made a lot of sense for all of these Chicago um, transplants to end up in this town. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I really liked the way that, so it's a very like bougie area, like it's got a very fancy feel to it, but uh, most of your main characters 
are not as affluent as the people that own homes in that area. And so you really kind of like dig into what it's like for them to be living in that area as well, which I found really fascinating. Yeah, and I think that that's what most people feel when they go to a place, you know, like the Hamptons or like Lake Geneva is that you're you're gawking a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, it's most of us. That's why they're called the 1% because there are 99% of us who are not them. Right. You know? And even for wealthier people, like the mega wealth that is demonstrated in some of these homes, you know, we're talking ridiculous mansions with huge yachts, you know, like this, the 10 bedrooms, 20 bedrooms, a helipad, a mm-hmm. full-size indoor basketball court. You know, these are, even for rich people, this is like next level of wealth in some right. of these homes. Um So to be able to experience a little bit of that, there's something very cool that again is true about Lake Geneva that's in the books, which is that there's this shore path. You can walk around the entire lake. You can just like walk a ring around this whole lake. And um, you're walking essentially through people's yards because, Uh you know, imagine the house and then they've got to walk out to their dock. They'll walk from their house down through the yard across the shore path to their dock. And you're walking on that same shore path, you know, behind their house, essentially. And it gives you this little window. And some people have put up, you know, privacy screens of various kinds so that you can't really see the houses, but some haven't. So you're like, ooh, wouldn't it be cool? Like, look at that pool and look at their deck. And like, they're, you know, if you go out during the cocktail hour, you'll see people who every night, you know, will walk down to their dock and sit and have a cocktail with their friends, you know, out on the dock and just kind of vicariously living those experiences is something that I wanted to bring to the books and explore a little bit. Um, Delilah has this ex-boyfriend who is very wealthy and gives Mm -hmm. her a little bit of an entree into that world. And the third book in the series, we're going to go even deeper into that kind of upper crest world and get a sense of what that's like. Oh, fun. I'm excited for that. And uh, as you were mentioning that like walking trail, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember like walking down that trail with Delilah in these books. I have a nice feature um, as a mystery writer to have that because it's it plays into the plot of one of the books. You know, somebody is making an escape that way. Um, but I could see using that in future books too as a way that you can just like basically come right up to the back of somebody's house right. if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh, that's a... Yeah, that seems like a great setup for a mystery novel right there. Yes. I'm excited to read more books in the series. You've already got me hooked on your premise for book three. Uh, So can you tell us anything about what you are working on right now? Just today, I'm finishing up edits on book three, and that's going to, I'll send it later on today, and then we're going to go into production on that. Congratulations. Um, That's huge. Thank you. I know. It's, It's a great feeling of relief. Um, and I, I really like this book. It's going to do a little bit more. There, there's going to be a um, prohibition-themed party that um, Delilah and Sonia are catering. And we're going to, it's at one of these fancy opulent mansions on the lake. So we're going to get inside one of those mansions and meet some of the people who are living that kind of 1% lifestyle. Oh my goodness, um, that sounds so fun. It, yeah, it's I, it's a super fun premise. And it's, it is kind of um, Agatha Christie-esque that there's an event that takes place that m- makes the group end up getting trapped there altogether. So it's one of those setups where you know that the murderer is among you. Uh-huh. Uh, 
and, you know, just have to try to figure it out before the night is through. So that was a fun one to write. Although I don't know if I'm ever going to write another book like that because it was so <laughs> hard because you've got all of these characters. I think there are 14 people trapped in the house and, you know, with a normal scene, you have to keep track of maybe like what Delilah is doing, what Capone is doing and what Butterball the cat is doing. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, those three characters in a scene and then Delilah goes and investigates another thing. So maybe there's her and one or two other characters in that scene. In this one, I basically had to keep track of 14 people all the time. Right. Yeah. Where is everybody at at any given spot, yes. any given and there was, time? Oh, there was so many scenes as I was going back through editing that I was like, okay, but she was on the couch a minute ago and now I've got her like standing out on the porch <laughs> with a drink in her hand. Like, how did she get that? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, that yeah. sounds like a lot of work, but I love a good locked room mystery. So yes, I, yeah. I appreciate you for doing all that work because it sounds like such a fun read. Yeah, I think it will be. And I'm yeah, I'm excited about that one. And then next up after that, they, there are going to be at least three more deep dish mysteries. Awesome. Um, Yes. So I'm planning um, hopefully a Christmas themed one for book four, a Christmas and Hanukkah themed one um, that I'm going to call, I think, Sleep in Heavenly Pizza. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> you heard it first. So this is, I haven't, I haven't totally run this by my editor yet, so she could put the kibosh on it. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to do a Christmas and Hanukkah book because um Delilah was raised Catholic, Sonia was raised Jewish, and I thought it would be fun to, you know, talk about those traditions and also yeah. mix that with a little bit of murder. Why not? I love that. I love that. And uh, I haven't read uh, many cozies just yet that incorporate um, any kind of information about the Jewish holiday season. So that's awesome. Yeah, I think it'll be fun because there's, I've noticed, you know, with the Hallmark movies, they're starting to be a little bit more inclusive mm -hmm. with adding you know some Hanukkah movies and I think it's I have a number of Jewish friends and it's funny because one of them is like so gung-ho about these these Hallmark Christmas movies <laughs> she just loves them you know like that we've the last couple of years well we've had like a special party at her house where we go and watch Hallmark Christmas movies um and that's something that I could totally see Sonia who's the character who's raised Jewish just because she's such a lover of kitsch and sort yeah. of a lover of romance and, and just life in general. She's kind of all in all the time on things um, that I thought that's a fun trait that I'm going to steal from one of my friends to give to Sonia that even though she's Jewish, that she's obsessed with these Hallmark Christmas movies. I love that. And it just so I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso. Um, we're big Ted Lasso oh, yes. fans and yeah. And so the, the new episode that came out yesterday, Ted Lasso, the American, uh, well, he's a football coach, but soccer coach in England is trying to explain to one of his English co-coaches, um, what ha Hallmark movies are. <laughs> and so he's like, it's a romance movie, usually about a guy that owns a Christmas tree farm and a girl that goes home after she doesn't make it in the big city. He's like, they're terrible. <laughs> but they're great. <laughs> I was like, yep, that yes. sounds, <laughs> about sums it up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know, some of the, we, I've watched so many in the last few years, it's become kind of a, an obsession of mine too. Um, and that, yeah, that definitely is 
a running theme. The yeah. <laughs> even in this, I, I'm hoping eventually Delilah, her business is is struggling always um, in the first few books. But eventually I would like her to have built like a successful business enterprise because that's that's such a common thing in these books. Like you said, the failure of the woman in the big <laughs> right, want her to be right. a success story. Yeah, but you know, we we love those cliches for a reason, particularly in the cozy genre. So we're here for it. And I do just wish Delilah all the best. I'm excited to see the growth of her restaurant and what hijinks she gets up to next. Oh, thank you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This was such a fun conversation. Oh, yes, absolutely. And before we sign off, do you want to just let our listeners know how they can connect with you online and just keep up to date on all your upcoming book releases? Sure. So I've got a Facebook page if you search Mindy Quigley author. And then MindyQuigley.com is my website. And I blog there, not as much as I should, but <laughs> I usually put kind of like where I'm going to be and the, the major things um, are up on the website, new releases and that kind of thing. And then I recently, like within the last six months or so, started using Instagram. I used to do Twitter, um, but just didn't really like it. And now I'm in, on Instagram and it's the best. I adore I Instagram. <laughs> I love Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite of all the social medias. Um, I really like Instagram. I just feel like it's a much more supportive place and you get a lot less um, yucky noise on yeah. Instagram. So I'm at Minty Fresh Books, Minty Fresh Books on Instagram um, and starting to get more conversant with social media. I still like, I'm such an old man with social media. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, your social media is beautiful. Like your, yeah, your social media always looks phenomenal and you've got like a really nice, um, consistent brand. And that's something that I need to work toward because I'm very undisciplined with just posting things that I find funny in my daily life. Um, <laughs> You know, but, but you've got to do whatever makes you like brings you joy on social media. Otherwise, it's just too stressful. Yes, that's absolutely true. So I'm trying to find the best of both worlds where I'm telling consistent stories um, and creating that consistent brand while still being true to my goofy, undisciplined self. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Minnie, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I have had such a great time. Oh, me too. I hope we get to meet in real life one of these days. I know, definitely. I really want to get to some mystery conventions. Maybe not this year, but I would love to go to Malice Domestic, or I think there was like left, what was it, like left oh, coast? left coast crime. Yes, I was like, I lived like so close to there. I totally could have gone to that if I knew what it was. So one of these I days. I was so <laughs> jealous of that one this year because the hotel that they had, I don't know if you're, uh, this is another Instagram thing, like people yeah. were posting pictures from the left coast crime hotel. Uh -huh. um, and I've been to Malice a few times in Bethesda, Maryland, you know, very nice town and, yeah. you know, lots of stuff to do, but it's basically just like a downtown city hotel and this resort that left coast crime was <laughs> like cactuses and a beautiful pool and like a blue sky with puffy clouds floating across. I, um, yeah, I posted on Jennifer Chow's Instagram page. I'm like, I'm flagging this for obscenity. Like you need to stop posting. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're all getting like serious FOMO from, <laughs> oh my gosh, from all the social yeah, media terrible. posts for that. So uh, I am going to try to go to that 
next year. So if you go, we'll, we'll, we'll meet up. Maybe we'll do an in-person podcast episode. Oh, that would be amazing. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners today and um, hope to entertain you for many years to come with Delilah and Butterball and their hijinks. Yes, we are going to keep our fingers crossed for many, many more books. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will be back very soon with another new episode. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading and stay cozy.